2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 12 is our text. If you want to open your Bible there or navigate on your device. None of you have any reason to not have an iPhone now. You know, they're giving, if you, if you get it, if, if I got this right, if you get a new contract, they'll give you an iPhone 4S that for free. You don't even have to buy it which is the phone I have. And, and so there's no reason for anyone to ever buy a droid phone again. I'm just, as they say, I'm just saying. But anyway. And you heard it from me first. The new iPhone 5S has thumbprint recognition. Remember, that was one of our prophecy updates. I'm simultaneously excited and creeped out by it. <laughs> And then I looked into, because I want to upgrade, but I'm a year out, right, on my phone. So now all that you notice, they're all saying, oh, you can upgrade any time. Yeah, you know what they do? You have, to, they, you have to buy the phone at full price over a payment plan, and then you can upgrade at any time. I want to sue somebody. <laughs> anyway, enough about that. Are you all there? So I was just giving you a chance to navigate there. The focus in these verses is the danger of rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior in this current day of grace. Once the church is raptured, the world will be plunged into the awful horrors of the seven-year Great Tribulation. Christians will be persecuted, hunted down, and martyred. Evangelists are fond of saying, if you can't live for Jesus now, how will you die for him then? Have you ever heard that? Two of us have heard that, three, four. God bless you, I see that hand in the back. Have you ever said that? That's what I want to know. You, you need to have said that or else you're, that's one of the points of, you can't be a Calvary pastor without saying that once a month. Paul began by summarizing the tribulation in verse 8. He says, and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Obviously, we're in the middle of the chapter. The tribulation is going to begin when the lawless one is revealed, and it'll end with the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth. Uh, we saw in the opening verses uh, the things that needed to occur before uh, the tribulation could occur, and one of them is that the church will be removed. Now, the lawless one is one of many names for the person we most commonly call the Antichrist. The name Antichrist is only found in 1 John and 2 John. The Apostle John was the only Bible writer to use the name Antichrist. Studying these verses, we learn that many Antichrists or false teachers will appear between the time of Jesus' first and second coming, but there will be one great Antichrist who will rise to power during the end times, as John phrases it. <laughs> he will deny that Jesus is the Christ, denying both God the Father and God the Son. He'll be, as we see uh, tonight as well, a liar and a deceiver. Now, the Greek prefix anti or anti has two meanings. It means against and instead of. And so, he will not only oppose Christ, he wants to be worshipped and obeyed instead of Christ. And so that's uh, why he is the Antichrist. Now we saw in the previous verses he could not be revealed until the Holy Spirit who restrains him was removed in the rapture of the church. 
Paul calls him the lawless one to emphasize his total and complete rebellion against God. He won't just be another antichrist. He will be the antichrist, the lawless one. Now, when Jesus returns, he easily overcomes the Antichrist and his forces. It says here, the breath of his mouth, uh, and that are just the words Jesus speaks. He, it's not so much that he breathes on him as he speaks, uh, and he defeats the Antichrist and his forces. And so, <clears throat> those of you who are familiar with long, drawn-out Hollywood endings, where the bad guy just won't die, uh, and, and he has to be killed three or four times. And just when you think it's everybody's happy, his hand comes back out of the water and he's, you know, he's got you. That's not going to be anything like what happens when Jesus comes back. Jesus is just going to, whatever's happening will just be over. And Jesus will speak words and the rebellion will be down and all of his enemies will be down. The brightness of his coming is Jesus just revealed in his glory and majesty. I mean, just, just the looking, looking at the Lord in his glory will be enough uh, to end this conflict and to destroy his enemies. Now, in between the revealing of the Antichrist and the revelation of Jesus Christ, men on the earth will hear the gospel and be saved. During the first half of the tribulation... God's going to evangelize the world by means of the 144,000 Jews uh, who he calls to be evangelists. Uh, you can read about them. There are 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. Uh, and um, they go around. They're indestructible for that period of time. And they will fulfill the famous prophecy in 20, uh, Matthew 24, 14 that says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Uh, young Christians and even Christians who've been uh, walking with the Lord for uh, quite a while, uh, they sometimes are either troubled with this verse or they say from this verse that Jesus can't come back until everyone in the world has heard the gospel. Uh, I mean, because that, that's what the words actually say. It says that, that it'll be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And, and you know, that's true. The words are true, but the timing is off. Now, there's nothing wrong with us wanting to go to all the world. That was the Great Commission, and we should take the gospel uh, everywhere that the Lord opens up a door for us to go through. But this verse is, in the context of Matthew 24, is talking about the Great Tribulation and that period of time. And in that period of time, the gospel will go to every creature on the planet. There will be no one anywhere who doesn't know about Jesus Christ and doesn't have an opportunity uh, to accept the Lord. And then further, we know that there will be two witnesses, what Revelation calls the two witnesses who provide an evangelistic witness to Israel. They go around. Uh, we believe that they're probably Moses and Elijah because they were the two on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus as they were having their little confab about what was happening and stuff. Um, and they're going to be indestructible until the Antichrist is given power over them to kill them. And then they lay in uh, Jerusalem for a few days. The whole world is, it, it, they, it's a holiday. Banks close, you know, and they, they give each other presents. And then while the whole world is watching, these two guys rise from the dead and ascend into heaven. That's going to be wicked cool. I mean, that, it's awesome. Uh, by the way, um, Ours is the first generation in history that could see the fulfillment 
of that prophecy in a non-miraculous way. In other words, you can see something right now happening anywhere on the earth if you wanted to. You can see it on your phone practically, your iPhone anyway. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's, uh, and so that's interesting. So they'll be witnessing. Uh, in addition, there'll just be normal evangelism as people are telling others about Jesus. Finally, and this is my favorite, at the midpoint of the tribulation, Revelation 14 tells us that God himself will use angels to preach the gospel and warn those he calls earth dwellers not to take the infamous mark of the beast. Three angelic announcements go like this. Uh, Revelation 14, 6, first an angel will preach what's called an, ever, an eternal gospel to those who live on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Then in verse 8, a second angel makes the pronouncement, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who has made all the nations drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And then finally, the last angelic proclamation will specifically warn every person on earth not to take the mark of the beast, since doing so will result in eternal punishment in the lake of fire. He says, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives a mark on his forehead or upon his hand, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone forever and ever. That's Revelation 14 around verses 9, 10, and 11. And so the whole world will hear the gospel during the great tribulation. So you think, no worries. I can just get saved after the rapture. Once I see that my Christian friends have been telling me the truth, once Christians are removed and, and I see that God is real because the rapture took place and I'm in the tribulation, I'll just get saved then. In fact, I'll be ready for it. Well, not so fast because the next few verses, they at least ought to send a shiver up your spine, especially if you're not yet a Christian. Verse 9 says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Working indicates a supernatural energizing, and in this case, it is by the devil. He will be empowered to affect power, signs, and lying wonders. Power is a reference to the source, obviously Satan, we just said. Signs points to the significance behind what he does, and that is to lead people astray. That's what signs do. They lead you somewhere, right? When you're trying to figure out where to go, you're looking for signs, and so these, this individual have the power to do signs that lead you away from God and towards the devil. And they're called wonders. That indicates the astonishment produced in the beholders. They will be spellbound by the types of things that the lawless one is able to do. He will captivate them. You ever watch? I don't know. If I, I, I know they, at the county fair, do they still have the magician at the county, the hypnotist? you know, and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, this guy is going to be energized by Satan to have everybody act goofy, basically. And and so it's going to be a tremendous deception. Lying doesn't mean they will be false or mere tricks. They'll be real miracles that are intended to deceive you. The lying part has to do with their purpose. J.B. Phillips translates this, he will come with evil's undiluted power to deceive. Think how easily we're deceived today in an age of grace, even Christians. Imagine a non-believer going into the great tribulation having to deal with a, a devil-empowered individual who's doing astonishing wonders. What, what chance do you think that person is going to have of believing in Jesus Christ? 
2 Thessalonians 2, verse 10, and with all unrighteous deception, let's stop there for a minute. Again, this means he will employ every conceivable form of deception. He will have an arsenal of wonders to perform to keep you astonished. And then verse 10 goes on to say, among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Those who perish is in a verb tense, meaning they have succumbed to the deception and are on the path that is leading to ruin. They are perishing. They receive not looks back to a definite decision. They refuse to open their hearts to the love of the truth. God was drawing them by his grace through the gospel, but they willfully rejected it and refused to cooperate with grace. They are personally responsible for their fate, having deliberately rejected the offer of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that they might be saved, reminds us that it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. And so, uh, there's no predestination to damnation in this verse, not here, not really in any verses in the Bible. Uh, God desires that they were saved, but they... Uh, made a decision to reject the gospel. In verse 11, and for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, this almost sounds like God has condemned these people or predestined them for hell, but no, he hasn't. He acts to save them. As we already pointed out, in the tribulation, there will be ample opportunities to receive Jesus Christ. Every creature on the earth will hear the gospel. What God does is give them over to the consequences of their willful rejection of the truth. If they won't receive the truth and be saved, then they're going to have to believe the lie and be condemned. There's a lot of black and white, either or kinds of things in in the Bible, and this is one of them. Either you accept the truth of Jesus Christ or you believe the lie and you will be condemned. And this isn't just any lie. It is the lie, the one that first appeared in the Garden of Eden, that God is not God, really, and that we can be gods like him. This is what Satan told Adam and Eve. He says, you know, God's not really telling the truth. He knows that when you eat this fruit, you're going to be like him. You're going to be as gods. And, you know, we can all be gods. Uh, And, of course, the Antichrist, when he comes on the scene and reveals himself, he's going to say, hey, guys, guess what? I am God, and you can be like gods, you just have to worship me. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a reenactment, as it were, of what happened in the Garden of Eden, where the devil is trying to get Adam and Eve to uh, destroy their relationship with God. And so that's the lie. And then God will send them strong delusion refers to an inward working of delusion upon their hearts. God does not lie. He tells them the truth by confronting them with the gospel, but having refused the gospel and rejected Jesus Christ, there's an inward working of the sin they've chosen that leads them farther and farther away from the truth. We would compare this to the hardening of Pharaoh's heart because Pharaoh kept rejecting God's will. Uh, He kept following his own heart farther and farther away from God. Now, God gives them over to their personal choice to bear the consequences of their decision. Thus, they will believe the lie of the Antichrist that man can be his own God and be like God. Proverbs 5.22 says something similar, by the way. It says, his own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. And so, if you're not going to receive the Lord, 
You're gonna, you're going to believe the lie. You're going to get deeper and deeper and farther and farther into that. Uh, that's all that we're saying here. Now, an important question for us is when does this rejection take place and God send strong delusion? If you hear the gospel and reject it, for example, before the rapture, will you be able to repent and believe in the great tribulation? This is a very important theological question. Um, it's a very important personal question. William McDonald, who's a Bible commentator we like, he says no. He says, if you are alive now and you hear the gospel and you have not received Christ, when the great tribulation begins, he says, that's when the strong delusion will come and you will not be able to respond to the gospel. He says, from this passage, it seems that those who hear the gospel in this age of grace but do not trust Christ will not have another opportunity to be saved after the rapture. If men do not believe the Lord Jesus now, they'll believe the Antichrist then. It says here that they will all be judged because of their unbelief and their love of evil. Seems that those who will be saved are those who never heard the gospel clearly presented during the present age and who never deliberately refused the Savior. Now, Warren Wiersbe, he's a commentator we also enjoy, he looks at it differently. He says this, does this mean that those who have heard the gospel before the rapture of the church cannot be saved after the rapture? Not necessarily. If that were true, then our witness to the lost is condemning them should Christ return. However, it does mean that no lost sinner can afford to treat God's truth carelessly or reject God's Son repeatedly. The human heart becomes harder each time the sinner rejects God's truth, and this makes it easier to believe Satan's lies. And so, it's a toss-up, really. It depends on who you want to believe and where you emphasize. Uh, what's absolutely true is what we started with. If you can't live for the Lord now, how are you going to die for him then? And if you're rejecting him now, and with each rejection, your heart is getting harder and harder, and then this huge delusion takes place uh, where there's a guy working absolutely astonishing wonders that are mind-boggling, it's, it's going to be very difficult for a, a non-believer who's heard the gospel to respond to the gospel in the great tribulation. Now, I, if, if I was held at gunpoint and had to pick a side, I would pick the side of grace that there's always an opportunity. Uh, I'm not ready to say that everyone who's heard the gospel presented today, if the rapture took place, is lost in the great tribulation. Uh, I'd like to think that there are many, many more chances uh, for individuals. But I do like what Wearsby says. You can't afford to treat the God, uh, God's truth carelessly or reject his son repeatedly. Um, if, if you're not responding to the gospel now, it's going to be hard to respond to it then. So verse 12, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. These people will willfully reject the truth and instead uh, will be pleased with unrighteousness. It's an either-or situation again. Either you receive Jesus or in your rejection, you're consumed by your sin so much that you actually take pleasure in things that are totally unrighteous. You look at the world even today and you think, how do some people do some of the things they do? I mean, it, it seems so inhuman. It, it seems animal-like in its cruelty and its viciousness. It's because if you reject the truth, the farther you away you get from the truth, you... you uh, 
become more and more pleased with unrighteousness and, and uh, those kinds of things that are terrible. One thing is certain, when Jesus returns in his second coming, it will be too late to repent. And so the question tonight is, do you believe the Lord? Then you'll have no part in any of the tribulation, and this will be a moot point. Why, why roll the dice and say, I'll take my chances that, that Wearsby is right and McDonald is wrong, and that I can still get saved five minutes after the rapture? Um, if you're not a believer, and if the rapture occurred today, you, you're going to be left behind to remain for that, and it's not going to be pleasant. No guarantee you won't believe the lie and be lost for all eternity. And so turn to Christ now. Amen. <laughs>